0: Is there something about, if you're watching online in our prayer time, we talked a little bit about the beaches, um, but do you guys see that Panama City Beach and Dustin's ranked the most dangerous beach in the United States, more people have passed away on that beach area than anywhere else, and you got to be careful. As a matter of fact, I know we got sports fans, some of you, at least in our church, the only sport there is is college football. Um, but I, th- I think it was at Ryan Mallett. I think it was Ryan Mallett passed away. I mean, if you're a college football, he played for Arkansas, was, got drafted into the NFL. He was in his early 30s, I think, or something, and 35. So those riptides, I think that's what it was, right? Did he, um, they, you know. I remember when I went to school at Pensacola, I always thought when I'd go to the beach, because I was a pretty good swimmer, you know. Eh, don't worry about it, you know, but Thankful for the grace of God because that's nothing to mess with. At any rate, tonight uh, we're going to continue in the life of Messiah. Tonight we're picking things up in <clears throat> paragraph number 38. If you have your life of Messiah, Harmony of the Gospels from Ariel Ministries. But um, um, last week we finished up paragraph 36. And I said, now how do we go in at 38? Well, actually last week I did two paragraphs. I finished 36 and we actually did paragraph 37, which was his acceptance in Galilee. So last week we were flying. You know, it took me like seven weeks to do paragraph 30, uh, 36, and then last week actually I did two. So tonight we're going to begin in paragraph number 38. I think we're going to get through all of that one tonight. Um, tonight we're going back into the Gospel of Mark, which is one of what's called the synoptic Gospels, and um, they're called the synoptic Gospels because the word synonym, you know, you can think of that, that Matthew, Mark, and Luke discuss much of the same content, Um, And so they're called synoptic versus the gospel of John is uniquely different, which is why, again, for me personally, and as we're going to see tonight, uh, I think when it comes to the doctrine of salvation that the the cornerstone of that doctrine ought to be out of the gospel of John, not the synoptic gospels. But that's another issue for another time. Not that they don't have anything to say about it, but um, what we're going to talk about a little bit about that tonight. Um, remember that uh, when it comes to the synoptic Gospels, uh, you, sometimes we tend to just think, because you know, we're Western and we Westerners think very linear, linearly. There you go, linearly. Say that word fast a few times. We, we like to think in a line, chronologically. At least I like doing that. But the, according to Dr. Frutenbaum and according to the Scriptures, the only one of the gospel, the synoptic Gospels, or that tell us that they put things in order was the Gospel of Luke. He tells us that in the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke. Read it for yourself. Um, You know Matthew and um, Mark in particular, well, they're all thematic, but they they didn't put things necessarily in chronological order. I remember the first time I really started figuring this out because I would always think, well, if it happened in Matthew chapter 5... Um, always everything in Matthew 5 happened before things in Matthew chapter 12 or something. Not necessarily. From a Middle Eastern mindset, they would write things from a thematic standpoint. They would take elements to prove their main central point and we in the western world don't really think like that and sometimes it can when you're coming to the gospels can cause you some issues when you're not applying uh, the correct uh, the way this was presented uh, in its context to its original readers Um, so Jewish perspective is very very important but tonight we're going to pick things up where Jesus has arrived back in the area of the Sea of Galilee which if you know anything about his ministry Capernaum was really one of the bases or the main base of his operations if you put it that way and tonight's information is Given to us in all the synoptic gospels—Matthew, Mark, and Luke—and we're going to read all of them. But our main one I want to direct you to is Matthew's account, uh, Matthew chapter number one and uh, verse fourteen. The Bible says, "Now after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the kingdom of the go- uh, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying." The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Now, Matthew's account, if you have your harmony, this is real easy. Otherwise, in your Bible, you have to turn back to Matthew chapter 4 and uh, verse number 17. In Matthew 4 17, Matthew says it this way From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And uh, Luke mentions this as well, but we're going to look at his his take here in a few minutes. Uh, but I want to stick Mark and Matthew say similar things. Mark says a little bit more, uh, in a little more detail, so I'm going to stay primarily with Mark. Uh, now, tonight we see that Jesus, as he gets there in the, back in the area of Galilee, begins one of a few of his preaching tours. Now, when you study Jesus' preaching tours, as you go around, as you read the Gospels, you'll discover that his tours were always directed to Israel itself. He never did one that was a preaching tour to the Gentile areas. Now, why was that? Did he not like the Gentiles? You know, hope not because all you know, well, of us would be in trouble there. You know? Remember Jesus came, he came unto his own and his own received him not. But he came unto his own and Jesus later would tell, remember the girl, the Gentile woman who brought their child, it was but said you know I didn't come you know to, to give food to the dogs you know and she said well can't the dogs have crumbs on the table you know. Um, the point was not to diminish her and when we get to that, that story we'll make sense of it. But um his primary ministry was to his people. And it's interesting, the Bible tells us here in Mark chapter 1 that Jesus came into Galilee preaching, and he tells us, uh, Matthew and Mark tell us what it is that he's preaching. Notice that the scripture says in verse 14, preaching the gospel. He came preaching the gospel. Now, when it says he came preaching the gospel, tonight I want to challenge you, and if you're watching online, I, I want you to ask yourself this question you know, what is the gospel? And I know that some would say, well, according to 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Well, that's right. Is that what he was preaching here in Mark chapter 1, early in his ministry? At this point in his ministry, is Jesus now in Mark chapter 1 and verse 14, when the Bible says Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel, that Jesus came into Galilee preaching his death, his burial, and his resurrection. No. No. I do not believe that's what this means. You, you have to come back and understand we've taken the word gospel and over time and, and I understand it and it's okay that that term has come to coalesce, meaning the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. I, I understand that, but you're here on Wednesday night, or if you're listening to this podcast or watching this on video, you know, you've probably desired to hear and learn a little deeper. You know, I want you to understand that that word gospel is is just a compound word in the Greek, euangelion. It's a good message. It literally means the good news. And sometimes I think, we, like we do with the word salvation, we, 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 we take a meaning and we just stamp it on everything that we read and that is just not accurate to the understanding of the passage of, at hand here um, when you consider the people that Jesus is preaching to he goes to the Jewish people beginning in the year around Galilee and he's preaching the gospel he's, he, he, he's preaching the good news had Jesus even begun to teach about his death or his burial his resurrection no and when he did, the first time, he didn't just tell the masses. The first people he tried to explain it to was his own disciples, and they understood it right away, didn't they? Oh, no, that's not right. They didn't. Even when he tried to tell Peter and James and John, they didn't get it. So I, 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 don't, I don't think that's, that's, you know, what's happening. None of these events, events had been fulfilled yet. And furthermore, when he's going to the Jewish people, would they have been expecting a messianic figure to be preaching about a death and a burial and a resurrection? No, that's that, that not what they would have anticipated hearing. Read, read what the rabbis wrote. The, the word simply means good news. So if, if you put that in there, now you take that understanding and you, bring, you come back to the, to the text and it says, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the good news of what? Of the kingdom of God. So, what's the good news? If Jesus is going to go preach good news, what was the good news that Jesus was preaching? All right, now what does that mean? What is the kingdom of God? Now, see, there you get in, people. You know, you, you read the kingdom of God in all four gospel accounts. You can get, boy, I've read books on this, and it can be it, it, at times difficult. At times, it's not real difficult. Uh, when you bring into this perspective, from the Jewish perspective, from these folks had been taught, you know, they did not have the New Testament. Uh, They'd been taught a lot about about the coming Messiah from the Torah to the other, to the writings and the prophets. And they knew the Old Testament. And when Jesus says he's preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, he's preaching the good news that Messiah is here. Now, I know we don 't appreciate that well, how old's our country, two hundred and fifty years old, or something like that we're we 're just babies in terms of global kingdoms that have th- th- these Jewish people have been waiting for the Messiah since you know oh, Abraham. how far do we go back Abraham I guess, and then you know i mean th- let 's just say it, it it had been a spell. we might say that in a South. it had been a spell um they 've been waiting and they 've been talking about this, and so now Jesus is going around saying and proclaiming that the good news that the kingdom is here. Now this is what John the Baptist had done the same the same message He first identified Jesus and proclaimed him as the Messiah. Messiah. Now Jesus is going around proclaiming his Messiahship and um, he's he's offering to begin the Messianic kingdom and when you read the Old Testament prophets what what these folks would have read, same thing we'd read today when you read the Old Testament prophets, the primary primary focus of them is about that coming kingdom. That's, That's what they wrote about. Now Mark goes on and records even the content of this message of the preaching of the kingdom of of God because we go to verse 15, it says, and saying the time is fulfilled. See how that now makes sense? He's preaching the good news. The good news is the Messiah is here. This is what they've been taught. From the time they went to catechism, if I could use that word, from then they're little. You know, they, they got they're off the to little Torah school, and they, they were taught all these things from their time up from the from the Old Testament uh, scriptures. And Jesus is saying that, that the Messiah is here. I am He, and the time is fulfilled. Wow! If you look at it from a Jewish perspective, Jesus was an end times preacher they said it was 2,000 years ago. I understand that but from that perspective of that group and in the reality Jesus was an end times preacher. He says the time is fulfilled. All the things the prophets wrote about about the Messiah I am he and that time is come. It is now. Now, when they were considering earlier when verse 14 told us that they were preaching, Jesus was preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, if you went to any Jewish person of that day and said, what is the kingdom of God? You would not have gotten a lot of diversity of answer. You'd have gotten pretty much one answer. The kingdom of God's when the Messiah shows up and sets up a kingdom. If you just said to them, I think he's talking about a spiritual kingdom. They just said, What? Show me, that, show me that in um, Malachi or in Zachary. you know. Um, now, we have the, the fullness of the scriptures and we look back at those things from perspective that they did not have. And there's some of that in there. But understand where they're coming from, you know. The kingdom of God was a literal kingdom on earth with Jesus reigning. By the way, still is what it is, isn't it? I'm ready for that kingdom, you no know, i'm 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 ready to be a servant in in that kingdom and um Brussels and all these places in the world that think they run everything i'll be glad when they don't run anything you know much of evil wicked any anyway, rate I'll save that for sunday all right um I'll save that for sunday uh, but they were looking at for a literal kingdom with Messiah reigning now Mark goes on to tell us more of what Jesus said he goes on and says. You know, in in verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Here it is. Repent ye and believe the good news. Believe the gospel. Wow. Now, I always try to predicate when I know I'm about to get myself in trouble. So, you know, you can flag this part of the the series. I'm about to get myself in trouble here with with some folks that are not going to like what I have to say here. But it's okay. I, I would just tell you to consider, you know, study. I'll be honest with the Word of God and see what it is. But many times, many times I've heard this passage used in an evangelistic sense to Gentiles to demand repentance from sins as a requirement to become a believer and they'll say John Baptist preached repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and Jesus preached repent for the kingdom of God and they'll they'll, they'll quote these verses out of the gospel of John about John Baptist and here uh, as their proof text and for guys like me and Pastor Danny it drives us out of our mind now I'm a little merciful because honestly until I ran into Dr. Frutenbaum my undergraduate and graduate school gave me very little, if any, Jewish perspective on the understanding of the scriptures. I I only have influence really in one Bible college, and what little influence I've had, I've used. And I am thankful the last time I was on campus at at PCC that I saw Dr. Furtenbaum's books in the library, and I guess he's he's now required reading in a couple other Bible classes, so I'm thankful. I think they should do more. I think there should be a class on Israelogy, that you don't get a Bible degree unless you take a class on Israelogy and understanding the significance of the Jewish people um, in the receiving of the scriptures, the Jewish Messiah, uh, the Jewish nation today, the whole nine yards, covenant theology versus dispensationalism. And I know I'm getting really deep here. I'm sorry. I don't mean to. Some of you understand what I'm talking about, but it needs to be taught. And when we get these guys who are very flashy and, and very powerful and in my opinion from a mix of emotion to guilt tell you you have, to, you, know, you have to change all these things before God will offer you salvation. You can say whatever you want to say but you, ultimately what you do is you eliminate grace and you make salvation about what I have to do. And that is not what Jesus came to do. He did it all. And the funny thing is, my some of my theological opponents would say, well, we believe that grace is, you know, the real grace is that God gets all the glory, you know. And I'm like, well, then I, I'm, I'm missing it somewhere because somehow you're making me have to have a part in it. And they said, no, no, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, if I have to persevere to earn it, then it seems to me my salvation's on me. But this passage is often used to demand repentance as a condition for salvation. I wrote in my notes while the principles of of the era of grace salvation may be in here in context this specific message is given to Israel and is done way before Jesus died and rose again. Now, doesn't mean that it, that, it, that I'm, don't miss don't I don't want to be misquoted here? And say Pastor that doesn't matter. No, it does matter. This important. I'm just saying we need to be honest with Scripture and use it as it is given in its original context. So it has all kinds of interp- it might have some different interpretations, but there's really only one true meaning. I don't think God was up there going, "Oh, I think I'll make it ambiguous." To no, there's certain things that He's very very clear about. Now, some things can have multiple applications, but consider the original hearer, the original audience, the purpose it's given, the time it's given to understand what is the, what is the accurate meaning. And when somebody uses this for that purpose it, it just drives me crazy. This was before the era of the Mosaic Law was ended. Jesus is simply offering himself and the kingdom and he's simply saying that he is the one that all the prophets prophesied about and then they were told to repent. Now, repentance literally means to change your mind and believe the gospel, believe the good news. They were called to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and to believe that the kingdom was at hand. That was good news. Now, with that in mind, when he says change your mind or repent, what were they supposed to repent of? Now, later we're going to see, and personally, if you take what I'm showing you tonight because I can hear some of my critics going, "What is? what about in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 4 where it talks about repent and be baptized for the remission of sins? Well, Bring the same Jewish perspective, you'll find there's not a conflict. Matter of fact, quite the similarity. But one thing we find later they had to repent of, the Jewish people, is their rejection of Jesus as the Messiah. But in this part of the story, has that happened yet? Individually it has, but nationally it has not, and we'll get there in our study of life, Messiah here, as we go on. So you're like, well, what do they have to change their mind about? Or, you know, and you say, Pastor Ken, doesn't repentance have to do with sins? Yeah, I think most of the time when the word repent is used in the Scriptures, it generally has the consent of understanding that we are sinful and turning from our sin. But one of the things that most people don't recognize is it is almost always used to direct it towards God's people in the Old Testament, Israel, or believers in the New Testament. We... Children of God need when you bring in repentance about sins. We're the ones. Because an unbeliever, why does an unbeliever need to repent from their various sins? For what? They're going to hell anyway. Do you see that see the little problem there? And a lot of times most people say, oh, that, that's for unbelievers. No, back up the buses there. And ultimately repentance literally means to change your mind and from these Jewish people and we looked at this with John the Baptist when he preached a similar message and he dealt with them not doing the right thing just as John Baptist did so Jesus is reminding them the Jewish people were God's covenanted people weren't they They went under a Mosaic covenant, and I don't want to get too much into dispensationalism, but the Mosaic covenant is what we call one of the conditional covenants. Aren't you glad that the era of grace and salvation that we are in now is an unconditional covenant? God says, I'm going to give you eternal life. Simply believe on me. No matter what you do, it's unconditional. Hmm, Think about that. What does unconditional mean? It means no matter what you do, God gave you his word. He's going to keep you to that day, and he's going to present you faultless at the throne because of what he did doesn't mean that Christians can live however they want. I know our, we get a You just tell everybody they can live however they want. You know my answer to that? Yes, we really can because every, every Christian I've ever met makes choices every single day. Some that are pleasing to God, some that aren't because you're still doing some things the way you and I want to do them. But we cannot choose our consequences. And when you are a child of God and you think you're just going to disregard God's teaching, and you're going to do it your way, there's a big price to pay for that, both in this life and then in the life to come in terms of the rewards that you may have earned as a faithful servant of God. And I, right now, I know I say that, and most Christians could care less. That's just the truth. They don't care. But I think some day is going to come when you're dead, and you're in heaven and your spirit's in heaven maybe maybe before your physical resurrection then the resurrection comes the rapture comes uh, one day you stand before the Lord Jesus you're going to care and there's going to be some weeping in my opinion at that point along the way and I don't want to get too much into eschatology here this evening but it matters so when you and I get off in our own way in our own selfishness that we're not being effective for God it matters but here, he's telling this Jewish audience that they needed to change their mind, needed to repent because as, the, as God's covenanted people under the Mosaic covenant, which was traditional, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, and remember even at Jesus, when he just got done in, in the timeline, the last event we covered was the Samaritan woman there at the Jacob's well with Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, the Mount of Blessing and the Mount of Cursing, where they were given the covenant and said, you do good, you, you're going to get blessed physically. You do bad, you're going to get punished Primarily, physical. You're going to have, you know, famine. You're going to have all these other issues. And they had failed to keep their end of the covenant. That's the point of repentance here is not, you know, because this guy over here, you know, you committed adultery and you, you did this. And you, no, no, it was an, as a nation, as a people, each down to their individual, they had violated the covenant. Now, uh, the, 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 the problem is, and I wrote it in my notes, I put it this way, this passage has a huge Jewish impact that in my view cannot just be ripped out and used as a passage to present the grace gospel that is presented after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. I don't think that's fair. They had a commitment relationship with God that no other people group has ever had. That's why they're called God's chosen people. And they violated, they failed at that covenant. And John Baptist and Jesus are both calling them to account on it. Because when the Messiah shows up, they understood that when Messiah shows up, boy, party time is over. And so he said, you better change your mind about that. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. Believe the good news. Celebrate it. Now, it is true that today we also have a big sin problem, don't we? And the Mosaic Law serves a wonderful demonstration that none of us is able to keep the law. It's typified by the Ten Commandments, but you know my thing, it should be the 621 Commandments. Um, Got to keep all 621 um, but the, the top 10 would probably be those top 10. Okay, I, I'll give you that. But we failed at it. Paul wrote about that in Galatians, saying, you know, it's the, it was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we understood. Yeah, we've all done that. And, and even b- prior to the Mosaic time, God wrote his law upon our heart, doesn't he? doesn't matter where you go. Mankind is an internal thing, knowing that, that lying is wrong and stealing is wrong and murder is wrong. We find that even in cultures that have never seen a Bible because God has written it upon our heart. So there's no denying that we have a a sin problem and the Mosaic law shows how we violated it and violated the holiness of God and that we need to repent, we need to change our mind just ultimately as the Jewish people have to do to this very day, change their mind about who Jesus is. Is he the Messiah or is he not? But understand that God made a covenant with the Jewish people under Moses that is unique to them. But I would say just as Jesus is an end times preacher, I, I mean, I don't want to be guilty. I grew up in the church, many of you know that, and I'm an old guy now. And um, I mean, we used to have big citywide revival services. I'm trying to think of the guy's name. Uh, his name's, he would go around all over the place preaching about end times stuff. And um, oh, I wish I could remember his name. Brock, you remember who he is? Jack Van Empe is one of them. Yeah, I think it might be who I'm thinking of. Uh, who's the guy that could quote all the Bible too? Was that Jack Van? Impey? That was Jack Van Empe. Okay, it probably was. You remember him, Aaron? Do you remember Jack Van Empe? Is he a guy you've ever never heard of him? You, you, you have somebody else heard of me? Yeah. They would have these. They would have these things in our local city armory building. You know, city property. Imagine that today. Oh, there would probably be a group out there protesting it, but separation church and state. But they I was told as a kid all the time, you know, you're not going to make it to high school, you're not going to make it to college, the Lord's coming back, you know, and yet here I am. I don't want to be guilty of that, but I would say in, in terms of the era, um, it sure, the clouds certainly seem dark. And there's a rebellion against God on a global scale that we've is new territory. And I would throw something else out there to you. The last time that God got so fed up with mankind that he took global action was under the flood. Remember that? Because the Bible says, and God looked at all of mankind and saw that their what? Wickedness was great. And that term has a lot of the Hebrew word and into the New Testament has a lot of sexual wickedness and what are we seeing thrust upon us in a global fashion today sexual wickedness that is celebrated and so just as jesus was an end times preacher so you and i are end times preachers that we i don't think it's wrong when it's used correctly That's why people say, you think repentance is necessary for salvation? I say, yes, I do, but define repentance. That's where I, which begins a nice discussion for me, for most people. So if I have to fix myself first, how is that grace? They don't have a good answer for that. Oh, well, God does it. Does what? He makes me change. Then why, if God makes me do it, why worry? (laughs) No problem. I guess he'll make me do it. Um, But we are end times Preachers, because the rapture of the church is coming, and maybe from a more visible standpoint, the day of the Lord, as the Old Testament talks about, is coming. Jesus is coming again. The day of the Lord's coming upon this earth. If you believe the book of Revelation, you believe the minor prophets, a lot of death is coming. Turn to Jesus now. If you've never done that. Turn, repent, change your mind, however you want to use the word. The question is, you're ready to meet God. I just want you to understand tonight, when you read these verses, and I hope if you've listened tonight, the next time somebody uses this and rips it out for their own theological purposes, at least you'll be smart enough to know, you know, Jesus, when he said, repent ye for the kingdom of God is at hand, you'll understand that he was offering the kingdom and he was simply saying it's good news y'all have failed to meet your end of the covenant that you made with God there in Mount Sinai. The Messiah is here. (laughs) Um, Get right and celebrate. It's good news. And I can't wait for the good news for him to come back again. Well, lastly, I want to show you one other thing about this initial preaching tour that Luke gives us. So we're going to end tonight in Luke chapter 4. So in your Bibles, Luke chapter 4. And uh, let's look at Luke's contribution to this era. Uh, or if you have your Harmony of the Gospels uh, from Ariel, you can just go across down the column there from uh, makes it a little bit easier. But Luke chapter 4 verse 14, the Bible says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out the fame of him throughout all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified, lifted up of all. Wow, what a great start to his ministry, right? And it's interesting, and Dr. Fruitbaum brings out the point that when Jesus goes on his preaching tour, where does he go when he goes from town to town to go to preach? The synagogue. Anybody think of everybody else who did that? Paul did that. That's what the Apostle Paul, you read in the book of Acts, he took the same pattern. And I don't know, for, for us, I guess, you know where that is. I know that in our apologetics ministry, Pastor Danny and Aaron and some of you guys that love apologetics, there is something about engaging people that want to be religious minded if you will um, and Jesus went to these synagogues, well Dr. Fruitbaum spends a lot of pages which I'm not going to because it gets pretty detailed but he talks about where did these synagogues ever start, these Jewish synagogues um, synagogue, in that that name synonym comes into play. It means to gather together, really, in in the Hebrew. But it's an interesting discussion. A lot of rabbinic writers say that that, that synagogues began when Israel or Judah, the kingdom of Judah, was taken. Jerusalem was captured, destroyed by the Babylonians, and they were called off. You know, like Daniel and them into Babylon. Um, so the temple was destroyed, and Jewish tradition, many of it says that some of the captives, when they were hauled off to Babylon took with them remnant stones from the broken down temple, and they would take one of those stones and then they would build like a, a meeting place in Babylon with the cornerstone being an actual stone from the original temple, and that would be a, a meeting place because they they didn 't obviously have access to the temple anymore um, that that 's one of the things I've always heard. Anybody heard that presentation? I mean, and, and, I, and there there might be some truth to that one, and you know, there that maybe that's where it is. But there are other Jewish and non-Jewish historians who would disagree. They think synagogues were around even earlier than the Babylonian captivity, because they, their contention is that the synagogues were never designed to replace the temple the synagogue the word means as I said to gather together and they point out these historians use some older rabbinic writings to basically say that synagogues began as the people were called to gather together in the outer court of the temple and when they were, had this gathering and you can see this happened in the Old Testament you usually see it where Moses would call people to the tent of the congregation they were called to a gathering they were synagoguing literally And these historians believe that they were called and the rabbis began to use these, these gatherings for the main purpose was to bring all the people together to have, which Orthodox Jews still do this day, when they get together to synagogue, you know what they do? They read the Torah. They read the first five books of the Bible. Torah reading. Very critical, the main element of these gatherings from all the historians agree. And then they would have prayer. But their prayer time, little different is a lot of this is corporate prayer now i'm not a big fan of liturgical prayers because jesus said don't say things with vain repetition drives me crazy and that's what jesus said and i don't know if they were guilty it seems to me that some of them would have been but then again there's something about a group of people coming together and having corporate prayer you say what do you mean by that i mean is there not and should there not be times where a church comes together and all comes together to come before God on one unified purpose. Amen to that, right? Oh, they D-Day. Churches gather together to pray for those men that were going to hit those beaches. Not women. No offense to you women. I love women. I prefer women. I always tell my grandsons will always be second to the granddaughters. No, not to, not to Nana over here, that won't work. Nana will probably give the preference to the grandsons. That's mom and dad thing. Men, young men, and the nation gathered together in prayer over that. Ooh, I wish we did that today, I don't know. But it was interesting to me that over time, the historians wrote that the synagoguing, when they would call the Jewish people together, just as we saw in the Old Testament, that sometimes they, would, when Moses would like the example of Moses, when he called them all together, remember Korah's rebellion? When he called out and said, all right, Korah, you come over, here. We're, about to have a, we're about to have a meeting of the minds here. And it didn't go so well for old Korah. Um, but they began to use it as an issue to deal with issues within the communities, within the Jewish community. It, they used it to begin to handle disputes there was a lot of different issues that began to be handled after Torah reading and prayer were done. But eventually they began to find as the Jewish communities got farther and farther out from the temple, those people that lived way out like in Galilee, they would struggle. They couldn't just pick up and get to the temple in Jerusalem. And so they would start synagoguing in their own little community. Now the rabbis, for whatever reason, decided that if you were going to start a synagogue, you had to have 10 men that they had to be able to commit to, say, 10 men that would say, we will regularly show up for Torah reading and prayer, and usually they'd end up having a rabbi come to be the leader of that synagogue, or rabbis, plural. Um, but you had to have 10. We read about this in the book of Acts. Remember with Lydia in the book of Acts, it, there at Philippi, down, they were meeting down by the river, and it says because they couldn't have a synagogue, and it tells us, we can infer from that, because there wasn't 10 men at that time that were following Torah to start a synagogue. So they were meeting unofficially down by the river. Um, Interesting. Now, I want to leave you tonight with something that I found kind of funny. You you may get a laugh for this. You you may not. Um, But these ten men that were required to start a synagogue began to have their own name. That group, that that base ten. And, and so Dr. Fruitenbaum, of course, as he always does, g- goes back into the Hebrew, and he tells us what the Hebrew word is. You know what the Hebrew word is for those 10 men or that gathering of those 10 men together? Is you know what it is? <laughs> you can look up <at> what? Minion. <laughs> I knew when I said it. I knew if I, now if it's Sunday morning, I'd have a picture up there on the board. I almost thought I'd have Pastor Danny throwing up there because I know what you're all thinking of. Kevin! Um, you know? Yeah, minions oh man that's amazing and um, it, you know just as when Jesus said repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and believe the gospel there is some overtones to what we teach today you can see the imprint there in, the, in that understanding with the Jewish perspective but you can see the imprint there right same thing when it comes to synagoguing and into the New Testament, we are called the ecclesia, the called-out assembly. We're called out to gather together. And I thought, just like the Jewish synagogue where they needed to go about synagoguing, we need to go about Ekklesia-ing. <laughs> and I thought to myself, self, pastor, how many churches are out there right now? And I would tell you in our country, I would, I'm not a betting man, um, but if I was guessing statistically, there are more churches today that do not have the qualified number of minions. How many churches are there in America that do not have 10 men that will regularly show up for the reading of the Word of God, the preaching of the Word of God, prayer? and community business. Oh, that's good, preacher. That's good. It breaks my heart when so many men, in my opinion, they're wimps because they won't keep their commitments to their wives. They won't take spiritual leadership, not by demanding it, but by demonstrating it. And they won't be accountable to anybody else. I can tell you that In our early years, we didn't have 10 men that came every Sunday, did we, Matt? Then again, you you count three and I count four, so that's seven. Um, (laughs) Okay, maybe you count five and I count 1.5, right? But we didn't have 10. But I remember, Matt will tell you, when I came here, I said, I want to target our ministry on men, and it's why it took us longer to grow and still takes us longer to grow because I expect men, and I'm not afraid to hold men accountable. I've been threatened more than once because I've held men accountable. True story. Thank you for the security team. Can I say that? I guess I should know. All right. Be very careful in this building. All right, that's all I tell you. Um, where are the men? And even in the last year or so, you guys seldom get to hear these kind of things because you're just not in that position. But you wouldn't be amazed how many times. matter of fact, I've almost come to expect it. When missionaries come in or people come in from outside, they come and they visit one of our church services, friends of mine are missionaries, even ones we sponsor will say, we go to church after church. You know what we like about your church? I said, what's that? They said, number one, you have young families. They said, but even more, there's young men. And by young, they mean 40 and under All right, that's usually what they're referring to. So you know, hey, so if you're over forty, old dudes, yeah, Michael Bryant, don't worry about it, bud. Your your boat has sailed. You know, it's gone. Um, But you know what? I'll take an old man versus no man. All right, so we're gonna keep you, Mike. All right, Julie still looks like she's 29, so you're you're you're, you're good. But um, you know, I thought to myself in my notes, I put, you know, what the church needs is more minions. So. you know, take it for what it's worth tonight. But uh, that's how Jesus did it and um, how Paul did it and how we want to keep doing it today. Amen? Well, a lot of interesting stuff tonight. I know if you have any questions about that, you can uh, email uh, Pastor Daniel at odbc is at com. Pastor Danny, he's not even listening to me. Uh, just address it to Pastor Danny and he'll answer all your questions and correct anything I may have misspoken here, which may be. Um, so... All right, and then Pastor Danny's going to pass it on to Brock. All right, that works works for me. Roll it on. All right, uh, thank you for tuning in tonight. We'll see you, Lord willing, on, on uh, Sunday. Uh, this is our July 4th weekend coming up here, or the week of July 4th, and I hope you all enjoy that. But it's closing a word of prayer, and we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you for the uh, just time to look into your ministry and... As you presented the good news of your arrival on the scene, and certainly we look back at it and today still recognize it's not only good news, it's great news. Thank you for what you did. Thank you for uh, salvation and eternal life, that it's a free gift. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Dismiss us with your blessings. Lord, I ask your special blessing on all the men that are here. Uh, God, I pray whatever area of accountability you've put them in, whether they're a single man, whether they're a married man, whether they're a grandfather, God, we carry influence everywhere we go and help us to be uh, faithful to your word, faithful to the community life of the church. And um, thank you so much again for the gathering together. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for being here tonight. God bless you. We'll See you. I don't think we have any. Other.